Chapter 16 of The Radio Planet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Radio Planet by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 16 Afterthoughts. There could be no doubt of it. Dago's plane was gone and with it had vanished all hopes of a speedy return to Cuppia. Sadly the two returned to camp and gave directions to start back to Verkingi. But Miles Cabot was not a man to despair, or he would have yielded to fate many times in the past during his radio adventures on the Silver Planet. Already, as the porters were loading the carts, his agile mind was busy seeking some way whereby to snatch victory from defeat. So when the expedition was ready to start, he led it around the woods until he picked up the trail of the stolen airship. Quite evidently the theft had not been made by ant-men, for they would have flown the machine away upon clearing the woods. No, it had obviously been taken by either Royus or Verkings, who had wheeled or dragged it away. If he and Doggo could follow its path, they might yet be able to locate and recover the stolen property. The trail led north until it struck, at right angles, a broad and much-rutted road, which ran from Verkingi to the northeast territory of the Verkings. And at this point the trail completely vanished. Miles held a written conference with Doggo, at which it was decided to return at once to the city and make inquiries there as to the stolen plane. If no one there knew of it, Doggo was to be dispatched on a new expedition into the Northeast Territory, and in the meantime Cabot was to rush the completion of his radio set. So they turned to the left and took up the march to Verkingi. It was a tired and disgusted human who returned that evening to the quarters which he had never expected to set eyes on again. Miles Cabot gave himself up to a few moments of unrestrained grief. As he sat thus, a soft, sympathetic voice said, "'Didn't you succeed in finding that which you sought? I am so sorry. At least you came back safely to me.' But the blandishments of little Quiven, his pal, failed to comfort him. That evening, when Judd returned from the brickyard, Miles sought an audience with him and demanded news of the plane. Said Miles, this beast friend of mine came near here in a magic wagon which travels through the air. Possession of this magic wagon would mean much to Verkingi in your wars, and especially if the beasts ever take it into their heads to attack you, as they undoubtedly will do sooner or later. Yesterday Doggo and I embarked on a secret expedition to bring this magic wagon as a surprise to you and Theof. But we find that it has been stolen. We have traced it to the northeast road, and there the trail ends. It must be either in this city or in the northeast territory. Will you help me to find it?" But Judd smiled a crafty smile, and said, "'It is not in Ferkingi. Of that I am certain. Nor will I send into the northeast territory to find it for you. For I well know that you would use it to return to your own land beyond the boiling seas. We wish you to stay with us and do wonders for us. We believe that we can make your lot among us a happy one. But remember that, although you are treated with great honors, 
you are nevertheless still my slave. Any attempt on your part to locate the magic wagon will be met with severe punishment, and an end will be put to your experiments. I have spoken." Miles Cabot met the other's eye squarely. "'You have spoken, Judd,' he said. Miles was now convinced that Judd knew more about the missing plane than he was willing to admit. So the only thing to do was to lie low, bide his time, keep an ear out for news about the plane, and continue the manufacture of the radio-set. Thus the Earthman ruminated as he walked slowly back to his quarters. And then the linking of radio and airplanes in his mind gave him an idea. He had felt all along that he was doing the correct thing in building a radio-set rather than in manufacturing firearms with which to attack the Formians, or in trying to fabricate an airplane for a flight across the boiling seas. His intuition had been correct. His subconscious mind must have guided him to make the radio in order to phone Cuppia for a plane to come over to Ferkingi and get him. Why hadn't he realized this before? It gave him new heart. With a laugh, he reflected that this afterthought was pretty much like those so characteristic of the man whom he had just left. Judd the excuse-maker, always bungling and always with a perfectly good excuse or alibi, thought up afterward to explain why he did something which, when he did it, was absolutely pointless. Miles had always looked down on the Verking noble because of this failing. But now what he found himself going through, exactly the same mental processes, he began to wonder if perhaps Judd were not guided by a fairly high-grade intuition. Perhaps Judd's afterthoughts and excuses were but the breaking through of a realization of some real forethoughts on the part of Judd's subconscious mind. Miles wondered. He was still wondering when he fell asleep that night. The next morning he plunged into his work with renewed vigor. He now had copper wire, copper plates, wood, mica, solder, platinum, glass and batteries, everything that he needed for his radio set except a better vacuum for his tubes. But without that he was as far from success as when he started. Of course he knew what he needed, magnesium. But it was one thing to step into a drug store on the earth or into a chemical laboratory in Cuppia and take magnesium off the shelves, and quite another matter to pick this elusive element out of thin air in Verkingi. Nevertheless, in spite of this lack, Miles kept on working. He found his inductances, transformers, earphones and rheostats. He assembled his variable condensers and microphones. He fashioned his sockets and lamp bases. He strung his antennae. He wired up his baseboard and panel. Small sets were installed in Quiven's rooms at the palace, at Judd's house, and at the brickyard. Each of these was equipped with a transformer coupling for Dago's antennae, as well as with mouthpieces for the others, so that now, at last, oral conversation was possible with his Formian friend. Later he would prepare a portable headset such as he had worn in Cuppia. Laboratory experiments demonstrated the success of his sets in everything except durability of tubes. Yet, in spite of this drawback, he was able to communicate across his laboratory, and even with Judd's house, 
and, under favorable conditions, with Quiven at the palace, by using a cold-tube hookup. But this was not powerful enough to send as far as the brickyard, let alone Cuppia. At this juncture there appeared one morning at his gate a Verking soldier in leather tunic and helmet, requesting entrance with important secret news. Miles grudgingly left his workbench and gave audience. The fellow had a strangely familiar appearance and smiled in a quizzical manner. Yet Miles could not place him. "'Who are you?' Miles asked. "'Do you not know me?' the other asked in reply. "'No.' The soldier doffed his leather cap. "'Do you know me now?' "'No.' "'A life for a life?' "'Now I know you!' Cabot exclaimed. You are Otto the Bold, son of Grod the Silent, who is king of the Royas. To paraphrase one of the proverbs of my own country, a face that is familiar in Sir is oft a stranger in Verkingi. I did not recognize you away from the surroundings in which we met. What good fortune brings you here? Not good fortune, but bad, the Roy replied. It is true that Grod, my father, is our king but it is also true that At the Terrible likewise claims the kingship. At loves Arkilu, and is even at this moment on the march against Verkingi with the largest army of Royas ever gathered." Miles smiled. "'We are grateful for the information,' he said. "'With this forewarning we are secure against attack.' "'If you will pardon me,' Otto continued, "'I think that you are not secure.' for one of your own Verkings, Tippy by name, marches with At. At has promised Tippy the glorious golden quiven in return for Tippy's support, and Tippy has many partisans within this city." Miles continued to smile. "'We can deal with traitors,' he asserted smugly. "'There are many lampposts in our city.' But Otto kept on. "'Sir has fallen.' What? the Earthman shouted, at last shocked out of his complacency. The rock-bound impregnable fortress of Sir Fallen? Impossible! Not impossible to those who travel through the skies and drop black stones which fly to pieces with a loud noise, Otto calmly replied. The beasts of the South have made alliance with At the Terrible, and Tippy the Steadfast, and are marching with them. Good builder! They are upon us even now. Quick, the beasts enter this very room. Come, draw, defend yourself." Wheeling quickly, Cabot confronted Dago standing in the doorway. Much relieved, he explained to Otto who this newcomer was. Then, seizing a pad and a lead stylus of his own manufacture, he hurriedly sketched the situation to his Formian friend. In reply, Dago wrote, at last I have magnesium ore. Some soldiers brought it in, attracted by its pretty red color. There is no time to be lost. To the laboratory. You must complete our set and summon aid from Cuppia. Meanwhile I will get Judd on the air and call him here for a conference. We have no time to wait upon him or even Theof in this emergency." Miles read the message aloud to Otto. "'It is well,' the latter commented. Now, if you will excuse me, I must be running along. My disguise as a Verking soldier will get me safely out of your city, 
and I must join my father, who is planning to counterattack if a fit opportunity presents itself. Till we meet again. Till we meet again, in this life or beyond the waves, the Earthman replied. And may the Builder bless you for your help this day. Then he rushed to the laboratory. Dago was already tuning the set. Judd is not at home, he wrote. Shall I waste a tube on the brickyard? No, Miles signified with a shake of his head. Then, seizing the pad and stylus again, he wrote, I will try and get Judd. You, meanwhile, attempt to extract magnesium from this piece of carnalite. The Ant-Man knew exactly how to proceed. Grinding the ore, he mixed it with salt and melted the mass in an iron pot, which he connected electrically with the carbon terminal of a line of electric batteries. In the boiling pot he placed a copper plate connected with the zinc elements of his cells. By the time the Earthman returned from calling Judd on the radio, a coating of pure magnesium had begun to form on the copper anode. An hour or so later he scraped off his first yield of the precious metal, the final necessity of his projected radio set. At this stage Judd appeared. "'Pardon the delay,' he started to explain. "'You see, I—' But Miles cut him short with, "'Never mind explanations now. It is enough that you are here. Sir has fallen. The beasts of the South and at the Terrible are on the warpath. They seek to rob you of your Arkilu. With their aerial wagons they will drop magic rocks upon this city and destroy it. Give Dago back his plane and he will try to combat them." But Judd shook his head. "'You would merely escape,' he replied, "'and then we would be worse off than now.' "'Then you admit that you know the whereabouts of Dago's plane?' Miles eagerly asked. "'Not at all, not at all,' the Verking suavely replied. "'I was merely stating that, even if I knew where this plane, as you call it, is, for builder's sake, man," Cabot cut in, this is no time to quibble over words. Give us the plane if you would save Theof, yourself, and Arkilu. It's hardly necessary, Judd asserted, unruffled. Don't get so excited. If At wants Arkilu, he certainly won't drop things on the palace. And we can defend the palace against all the Royus in Verkingi but not against magic slingshots," replied the Earthman. "'Perhaps not,' the noble said with a crafty smile. "'But we shall see. Now I go to prepare the defence. You are at liberty to come with us if you will, or putter around in your tubes if you had rather. Good-bye.' "'Shift for yourselves, then!' Miles shouted after him, and frantically resumed his work. His attempt to get the plane by stratagem had failed. Perhaps Judd did not know anything about the plane after all. It would be typical of him. Miles had plenty of sets of grids, plates, and filaments, all prepared. Also plenty of long tubes of Pyrex glass. All that remained necessary was to coat the platinum elements with magnesium, fuse them into the tube, exhaust the air by the water method as before, seal the tube, and his radio set would be complete. "'Where is Quiven?' he wrote to Dago. "'She ought to be here helping with this.' "'On her way from the palace,' the Ant-Man replied. "'I radiophoned her there.' Presently she entered, 
and jauntily inquired what all the excitement was about. Miles explained as briefly as possible. Her only answer was to shrug her golden shoulders and remark, "'Tippy is a little fool. He can have me, if he can get me.' She then took her seat at the workbench. After a while she inquired, "'Why the rush with the radio set when Verkingi is in peril?' Miles replied, "'Our only hope now is to get Cuppia on the air and persuade my followers there to send across the boiling seas enough aerial wagons to defeat the beasts of the South, or Formians as we call them.' "'And will you talk with your Lilla?' she asked innocently. "'Yes, if the builder wills,' he eagerly and reverently replied. To his surprise, Quiven jumped to her feet with flashing eyes, and seizing a small iron anvil from the workbench, she held it over the precious pile of platinum elements. "'And if I drop this anvil, you will not talk to her, is that not so?' Miles, horrified, sat rooted to his seat, unable to move. End of chapter 16